You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family compelled by God's love to practice the way of Jesus together in Austin. Our big prayer is this, in Austin as it is in heaven. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Hey y'all, good morning. It's already been said, Merry Christmas. Hope you're doing well. Um, Okay, so I know that at 11 o'clock, no one's going to be listening to anything that I'm saying because that's when it's going to be announced whether uh, UT makes the college football playoffs. And so I have an alarm set at 11. We will pause and we will check. We will rejoice together. We will mourn together. Even as an Aggie, this is me being pastoral to the uh, flock. Okay, so good luck, Longhorns. I'm well aware we will pause, okay? But if you're joining us for the first time, then let me introduce myself. My name is Jake, and I'm so glad that you're joining us. It's a great Sunday to be here for all of us as we kick off Advent season. We begin looking ahead to, uh, to Christmas, and we kick off a brand new teaching series that we're calling Christmas Presents, which I thought was a little cheesy, but Isaiah loved it. And so we, we went with it. <laughs> Christmas presents. And in this series, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the first half of John chapter 1 together. John chapter 1 is, is, is the disciple John, the, the one that was uh, be, the beloved disciple, perhaps the closest disciple, the closest friend to Jesus. It's his eyewitness account of Jesus's life. And he begins his letter, his gospel, his good news by opening with basically a prologue declaring the meaning of Christmas, why Jesus came and who it is that came. And we're going to get to look at that today by looking at John chapter 1, 1 through 5. And Travis is going to read that for us. Travis, come on up here, man. And once you read that for us, why don't we all stand for the reading of God's word. John, whoop, John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, uh, it's the time of year when you start seeing the bumper stickers or the lawn decorations or Christmas decorations or social media posts that say, Jesus is the reason for the season, right? And I don't know how that phrase hits y'all. I'm sure some of y'all love it. Perhaps you have it displayed in your yard or on your wall somewhere. That's great. Some of y'all might find it a little uh, preachy you know, or a cliche, perhaps, a little overused. Uh, either way, I, I, you know, it doesn't really matter. I just, like, personally, I, I appreciate the sentiment of that statement, especially as it challenges the materialism and consumerism that accompanies the Christmas season. But I bring that up, Jesus is the reason for season, not because uh, that's what I'm talking about, but because John, when he begins his gospel, 
uh, makes the point, really emphasizes the point, that Jesus is not just a reason for the season, but if you will, he's the uh, reason for all the seasons. Put another way, he is the uh, reason for all of life. In fact, he goes even beyond that, not only to say that Jesus is the reason for life, but that he is the uh, reason or rationale, the basis for how to live life. And that he is the radiance of life, that he is the light that brings life, that he is the reason for life, the rationale for life, and the radiance of life. And look, I used all R's because I wanted to show you that like Justin last week, I can say all my points start with the same letter. Are you impressed? So anyways, that's what John begins to communicate in this prologue of John chapter one, verses one through five. And I think that what he says here is incredibly relevant to our cultural moment. For we live in a day and age in a secular post-Christian society that really has, I think, kind of this prevalent thought or teaching that there is no really overarching reason for life, right? Now, we say Jesus is the reason for Caesar, Jesus is the reason for all the seasons, but in day and age, we say, no, there's really no reason for any, anything. That we're just, you know, we're just cosmic accidents. We exist on it by accident. That we're just animals with time and chance on our side. And that eventually, we're going to die. In about three generations or so, we're going to be forgotten. And, and at some point, all of humanity is going to cease to exist. The sun will either burn out or the planet will get too hot or whatever, and we're gone, and our whole existence, our whole species will be gone and forgotten forever. And so there is no reason. There is no overarching reason for life. Merry Christmas. It's a happy worldview. And what flows from that line of thinking, that worldview, is that there is no rational way to determine the best way to live, like how we should live. Though uh, many in our world would champion the idea that, you know, loving one another is really what makes for a meaningful life or a well-lived life, (laughs) that idea, as much as we like that, it's not rooted in Darwinian theory, right? I mean, I was reading a uh, Russian philosopher, which I do all the time. Now, <laughs> Tim Keller actually quoted him. I was reading Tim Keller, and he quoted this Russian philosopher. Just be honest with you. But this uh, Russian philosopher, Vladimir Slavyov, he sarcastically summed up the secular ethics by saying, men descended from apes, therefore we must love one another. <laughs> We chuckle because it's a non sequitur, right? It doesn't logically flow from that worldview. We don't get the meaning of life, that the meaning of life is love from the survival of the fittest. But what if, what if there was a way for us to know that there actually is a reason we exist? That we're not just here on accident. And what if, what if there was purpose? What if there's a reason we exist and not only a reason we exist, but a rationale that, that, that if we were to understand would help us live well, that would give us a basis to order our life around and be able to help us live a life that has meaning and purpose and joy and happiness 
And that would be great, right? But how are we going to know? It's like we, we need a, uh, a light. We need a light to shine in the darkness to help us see if there is a reason and there is a rationale and there is something that brings life. And John says, hey, there is light. And that light is Jesus. And the very first thing that he tells us about Jesus in this passage, or one of the first things, at least I could say, that he tells us about Jesus in this passage is that Jesus is the reason for life. Jesus is the reason for life. That Jesus is the author and creator through whom all things were made. And John communicates this by beginning his gospel, not with Jesus, his birth, but by pulling, you know, way back, right? Way, way back, all the way to the beginning, to Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. So here's what he says. I want to just listen to these verses. I think I'll just read through verse 3. He says, uh, Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Now, quickly, just just notice, by what means did God create? Did he wave a magic wand? Did he just think and it was so? And the Genesis creation account makes it clear that uh, God uh, spoke everything into existence. That everything was created, you could say, through his word. In fact, uh, in Genesis 1, the most often repeated word in that chapter is the word said. Did you know that? Said. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Every time God created something, Genesis 1, he did it through his word. And now John, in his opening to his gospel, makes a staggering claim that that word of God is Jesus. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All right, pause. Are we rejoicing or are we sad? We don't know yet. All right. This is going to get choppy. All right. So John, John's making the point that uh, Jesus is the word. Now, here's what's interesting. Why does he begin with this? Well, you said one reason he begins with this is because John was writing to a Jewish audience, not just a Jewish audience, I'll get to that in a minute, but that was definitely part of the original audience he was writing to. And one of the things that his Jewish audience was really struggling, really stuck on when it comes to Jesus was the claim that Jesus was God. Because in their mind, and according to you know, the Old Testament, their, you know, the law and the prophets, There was only one God. And to say that Jesus is God was basically a blasphemous claim in their mind to say that there is more than one God. And so John, beginning the prologue of his book about the good news of Jesus, right out of the bat, comes out with this statement. Jesus is God. And here's how that works. He's the word 
He's the word. And he alludes back to Genesis 1. See, what, he, what John wades into in the very first sentence of his letter is the uh, incredible mystery of the Trinity, right? Like right off the bat, but in the very first sentence, he begins to try to explain the unexplainable, right? And it's like, but the reason he does that is because this is part of his audience's hiccup, sticking point when it comes to who Jesus is. And so he uses this and this metaphor, this analogy, this concept that Jesus is the word to show that from Genesis 1, from the very beginning of Scripture, there were the, the, the whole, the Trinity of God, the Father, Son, Spirit were all present with God creating through his word as the Spirit hovered over the deep. It's interesting. Uh, there's this famous story about a Christian missionary named Timothy I who back in the 8th century was invited by one of the first Muslim caliphs to come to Mecca and defend the Trinity because the caliph said that if Jesus were God, that would mean there had to be two gods and that was blasphemy. So Timothy took the uh, caliph up on the invitation, he traveled to Mecca, and when he got there, he started to explain that it's true that there is only one God. But then he explained the Trinity using John's example of the word. And he said, when we communicate with someone, our minds first think a thought like, I feel hot, or I hope the Longhorns are in the college football playoff. We then seek to form that thought into words. And then out of our, then our vocal cords uh, (laughs) create vibrations in the air that carry those words to someone else's ears. And Timothy said, so in the act of communicating, you have three different things. You have thoughts, words, and vocal vibrations. They're all distinct from each other, and yet one in the act of communication. He says, the Father is like the thought, the Son is the Word, and the Spirit is like the vibration carrying the Word to our ears. Yeah, I find every analogy of the Trinity somewhat lacking, but I do think that this is a pretty good or helpful explanation of what John is getting at when he says that Jesus is the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Now, If what John is saying here is true, then friends, this means that our existence is not a result of a cosmic accident. That God created us through his word, through Jesus. So Jesus is the reason for life, which means that Jesus is the reason for your life. That you're not here on accident. That there's a purpose and a reason that you exist. And no matter what your biological story might tell you, whether you were wanted or planned or not, you were absolutely planned and you were absolutely wanted. Because you... God created you through Jesus. Jesus is the reason you live. He's the reason for your life. 
You're wanted, you're loved, cherished, you're known. In a sense, you could say you were spoken into existence by the very word of God. But but that's not all John says here. See, John uh, also communicates not just that Jesus is a reason for life, but that uh, <laughs> Jesus is what I'm, how I'm putting it, the rationale behind life. See, uh, John was not just writing to a Jewish audience, originally to a Jewish audience. He was also originally writing to a Hellenistic audience. And in that audience, uh, for centuries, had been uh, <laughs> talking about and reasoning and philosophizing over this idea that is called the Logos, the Logos to the universe. And by that, they meant that there was some kind of rationale or logic or structure, even language to the universe, that there was some rationale or order behind the way things are. And they believed that if they could discern what this Logos was, then they, would, they could align their lives with it, kind of go with the grain of the universe, the structure, the order of the universe, and it would re- result in them living well, a well-lived life. And so for centuries, this was an ongoing philosophical conversation in the Greek world. But by the time that Jesus came along, by the time John was writing this after Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, the philosophical schools had fractured and they had fragmented because nobody could come up with a real consensus to uh, what the logos of the universe was, right? Which resulted in, in many in that day kind of throwing up their, their hands and just saying, okay, well, I guess we just can't figure it out. There might not be any kind of rational order to the universe, to the, behind the cosmos. Which means that many in that day, John's day, had basically arrived at the conclusion that's so common in our secular world today. That there is, again, no overarching basis that informs the best way for us to live. And so we just have to figure it out on our own. Figure out how to do life on our own. Hoping we can find what, you know, makes us happy and something that kind of gives at least a little sense of personal meaning for a short time here on earth. The sad problem with that kind of thinking is that uh, it has resulted in people really struggling to find what makes them happy and what gives them meaning, which I believe is a, a significant reason. Maybe Definitely, I wouldn't argue the only reason, but I do think a significant reason for why the suicide rate in our country has skyrocketed 37% since 1999. 37%, especially among our young people. And it also explains why there's such a spike in mental illness and anxiety and depression and unhappiness resulting in antidepressants becoming the second highest volume drug in the world today. But the loss of meaning, friends, and no sense of direction for how best to live, people are experiencing a hopelessness and an aimlessness in our society at large is not flourishing. 
See, John was aware of this ongoing conversation in his day. What is the Logos? Is there a Logos? Is there a rational order behind the universe that we can align our lives with and go with the grain of the universe to live our lives? Well, is, is, there, is there a Logos? And so to speak into that ongoing conversation and all the confusion around it, he pins these words. In the beginning was the Logos. That's the word that we translate into English as word. In the beginning was the Logos. And the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. See, with this opening sentence, friends, Jesus, math, not, sorry, John masterfully addresses his Hellenistic audience saying, hey, that philosophical concept that you've been talking about for centuries now, this idea that there's this rational order behind the universe, I want you to know you were right. You were right. But hear this, it isn't a concept and it isn't an abstract proposition. No, it's, it's a person. It's the person of Jesus. That Jesus is the rationale behind everything. That he's the embodiment and the structure and the language, the order for how life is meant to be lived. Now, that's interesting, right? But what does that mean, right? If Jesus is the rationale behind or the logos behind the universe, what does that actually mean? Well, notice how John describes the logos here. What's he say? In the beginning was the logos, and the logos was, here's the description, with God, and the logos is God, and he was with God in the beginning, now, I'm going to connect a couple dots here, but you got to follow me. And I'm just really worried about that UT announcement. So still hasn't come through yet. Okay. Woo. All right. Uh, try to follow me here because I think this is awesome, but you got you to try to stay with the train of thought. Okay. So John says, Jesus is the Logos. He says he's the Logos is with God, the, the Logos is God, and then he again repeats, he was with God from the beginning. Two times in a short span of time, in two sentences, when he introduces Jesus' Logos and he, and he highlights or emphasizes that the Logos is with God. Why do you think he does that? See, the, the word with, right, is a relational word. Isn't it? And... <laughs> And so what he's drawing out here is that the Logos is, is in a, a community, a, a relationship. That what John, I think, is hinting at here is something that he actually expands on more explicitly throughout his gospel. And that is that, that the, the, the word, Jesus, and the Father, God the Father, have existed in a loving relationship with each other. That that's an essential thing that John says, you got to understand about the Logos. Now, not only is he God, but that he is with God. And later, John will say things like, uh, Jesus said in John chapter 3, that the Father loves the Son. Or John will tell us that Jesus says in John chapter 14, that the Son loves the Father. Or he'll tell us how Jesus prays in John 
chapter 17, when he says, uh, I, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. See, what the scripture reveals is that before the beginning of the world, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, though not mentioned here in John chapter 1, definitely included in this later parts of scripture, but that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have existed in a loving community within the Godhead for all eternity. Giving love, receiving love, glorifying and serving one another in complete unity and joy forever, which explains why John would later say in his other, in another letter, 1 John chapter 4, that God is love. God is love. Now think about this, okay? Try to connect the dots. If this is what God is like, then this means before God created, before he acted in power, there was love. That love came first. Before anything else, love is the constant, or you could say the rational basis behind the order of the universe. Why did God create? Why would he create people that bear his image. If he's existed forever in this community of love, perfectly loving one another, experiencing joy and happiness of giving love and receiving love and glorifying others and glorifying the Father, Son, glorifying the Spirit, back and forth, all, I mean, all of that around and around. Why create? It's not because he was lonely. He was not lonely. It's because he had love overflowing And so he creates so that there would be others to enjoy the love of God and be ushered into it. Friends, love is the rational basis behind the creation of the universe. And Jesus, friends, is the embodiment of that. He is the Logos, the embodiment of the God who is love. Have you ever wondered why so many people in our world believe that a life well-lived is a life of love? Where does that come from? As I already pointed out, it doesn't flow from a secular worldview, the survival of the fittest. Friends, it comes from Jesus. That thought, the rational basis behind the idea that love is the answer, that all we need is love, to quote two different Beatles, uh, is Jesus. Jesus is the rational basis for why love is the answer. He's the reason, the rationality behind why love is the answer for Jesus is the logos, the rational basis for life. And the more, friends, hear this, the more we align our lives with Jesus by loving God and loving our neighbors, as he said, two greatest commandments, then we will live well. Then we live well. But the problem is, we struggle to do that, don't we? We struggle to love well. And often our lives and our world is marked not by love, but a lack of love. And that lack of 
or loss of love is so often the root cause for the evil and the sufferings in our world, isn't it? Wars, racism, injustice, crime, violence, divorce, broken families, families, sorrow, and grief. Friends, why is there such a lack of love in our world? One of the main reasons why is that the human heart is bent in on itself. That there's something about all of us that causes us to think, me first. See, the great irony about the human condition is that we want love. We want love more than anything else. We, we, we know that that's what makes a life meaningful. And yet at the same time, we've got something in us that says, me before you. You serve me. My needs and desires before your needs and desires. And friends, that inclination destroys love. For love is you first. Love is let me serve you, me for you. But that's so uncommon. And in this passage and throughout his writing, John uses the word darkness to describe this state of the world. And the word darkness is a metaphor for both evil and ignorance, right? I mean, we Talk about the world being a dark place. We're usually talking about it in the sense of the, there's so much evil and suffering, right, in the world. And I know that I don't need to, sadly, I don't need to convince you that this world is a dark place. Multiple wars, mass shootings, on and on and on. We know this. This metaphor of darkness is also used to speak of ignorance. Like we're walking around in a dark room running into things we can't see, unable to figure out how to set things right and fix this broken world in our own broken hearts. We know things are dark, and so we, we look to things as potential solutions, things like politics and education and technology or the market to set things right. And yet, thousands of years of progress is yet to eradicate the evil and suffering in our world, and that we have yet to create a society where love and peace reign. We try and try, but it's like we're stumbling around in the dark, unable to figure it out, ignorant to the answer. Friends, that's the uh, biblical, uh, unsentimental, realistic backdrop of Christmas. That the world is in a dark place, and we don't know how to fix it. Which is why, friends, the coming of Jesus is cause for the weary world to rejoice. For as John says in verse 4, in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And then later in verse 9, he'll add, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Here John moves from describing Jesus as the Logos to describing him as the light. Or as I'm putting it, Jesus is the radiance of life. 
And friends, this description is uh, packed with meaning. For think about what light does. First, light brings life, right? I mean, we know this just through uh, the process of photosynthesis, right? That light brings life to plants. Well, likewise, the light of Jesus brings life to us. For if the darkness of this world is largely due to the lack of love, then what we need is a light that radiates love and brings it into our lives, which is what Jesus came to do, that out of love, the light of the world descended into darkness, opened our eyes so that we may see, and he served us, us before him. And in doing so, he made the way for anyone who trusts in him to receive eternal life, reconciling us and uniting us to God through Jesus' life and death and resurrection and enabling us to begin to be renewed by his love, to begin to be transformed into people of love. For as we walk in the light and the love of Jesus, growing in our understanding of how he has loved us and experiencing his love poured out into our hearts through his spirit. We are empowered and we are compelled by his love to love him and love our neighbors for his life was the light of all mankind. He is the light that brings life. And what else does light do? Well, light reveals truth, does it not? Multiple times in the past uh, month, I have been shut, shut down all of the, uh, all the lights in our house and the, you know, the blinds and got ready for bed. And Chris is already in bed and kids have been long asleep. And so I'm trying to like, you know, walk down the hallway to our bedroom without, you know, waking anybody up. And I step directly on our large dog named Aggie. Just again, just to say what a big deal I am that I care right now about UT. Um, I step on our dog. Why do I step on our dog? Because I can't see her. I don't have a good view of reality that there is a large dog laying in our hallway. Now, if I had a light, if I was smart and actually used this thing, right? And it's like, oh, I have a way to like see if there's anything in front of me. Then I would see my dog and I would not step on her. Light reveals Life. Light reveals truth. There also is another truth. What's the truth? That UT is in the college football playoffs. I figured that was the case because I just had like seven people hold up a hook'em horns sign for me. Congratulations, Longhorns. Happy for you. Jesus is better than Longhorn football. (laughs) Jesus is the light that reveals truth. See, um, he is the light that shines in the darkness, revealing what is true about reality. And friends, listen, in light of all I've talked about this morning, what does he reveal? Well, among other things, 
John in his prologue wants us to know that this light of Jesus has revealed that we aren't cosmic accidents. That there is a reason we exist and that reason is Jesus. And he reveals that the logos, that there's a, there is a logos and there's an intended order for how the world was meant to work, that if we align to, we will live well and that Jesus is that rational order, that he is the embodiment of the God that is love. And he wants us to know that Jesus has come as the life that brings light to mankind, showing the way for us to have life. This is the truth that Jesus has revealed. That we're not here on accident and there is a way to live and it's love. And there's a way into life, a life spent loving that only comes through Jesus as he pours his love into our hearts as we're united in him. Jesus is the light that reveals truth. And friends, that is, that is the truth. Says that's who Jesus is. And that's who we celebrate on Christmas. And that's why we have every reason to celebrate. That's how John begins his gospel, the good news of who Jesus is. Now, in a minute, I want uh, us to take communion together. And so the servers, if you want, even right now, you can begin passing out the uh, communion elements. But friends, as, as they begin doing that, here's what I want to put before you. And it's a big question. And so try to give it your attention. The big question is, if this is who Jesus is, if he is the reason for life and he's the rationale for life and he's the radiance of life, then the question is, is what is a fitting response to him? What is a fitting response to Jesus? Friends, if I was to come up with one word, I would say the fitting way to respond to Jesus can be summed up in the word strongly. Strongly. See, if this is who Jesus is, then it doesn't make sense to just like him or to be lukewarm towards him. See, in the Bible, the people who actually saw and heard Jesus never reacted indifferently or even mildly. In every case, once someone realized what Jesus was claiming about himself, that he is God, they either rejected him or they tried to kill him or they knelt down and worshiped him or they left everything to go and follow him. But nobody simply liked him. Nobody simply said, hey, hey, he's so inspiring. I think I might make some time to spend with him once or twice a month if I have nothing else to do. If Jesus really is, friends, the reason for all of life, then the fitting way to respond to him is by making him the reason for your life. If Jesus really is the reason for all of life, then the fitting way to respond to him is to respond strongly by making him the reason for your life. Think about it. If he's the reason for life, he's the reason for your life. 
And so you choose to live for him and to spend your time with him, to root yourself in him and his love so that you can become like him and you can love others with him. You make your life about him. Friends, friends, is Jesus the reason for your life? Is Jesus the reason for your life? See, I'm not asking if you believe in him. I'm asking if he's what you're living for. See, that's the rational response to who he is. Let me tell you what isn't a rational, what isn't rational. What isn't rational, friends, is that Jesus, hear this, that Jesus made you the reason for his earthly life. That's not rational. But if you think about it, that's exactly what he did. See, Jesus was perfectly happy in heaven. He was doing just fine, enjoying the perfect loving community of the Godhead, the Father and the Spirit. So why did he come? What was the very reason for his human life? Friends, it was you and it was me. That he entered the darkness of this world so that through him and his life and death, we could receive life and love. That's what we remember each week when we take communion. His body broken for us. His blood poured out for us so that we can receive his life through faith and be united with the love of God. I mean, just think about he communicated it during the Last Supper. Let me get my communion on this thing. What did he say at that meal? That Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, like, this is my life, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember that now. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We invite you to practice the way of Jesus in Austin with us because as we become more like Jesus, Austin will become more like heaven.